This is lesson one, and basically this covers the, these lessons will cover the entire chapter of Judges chapter six. Uh, and it's basically what theologians call an exegetical lesson where we're going to go line upon line. But I want to look at this. When we taught this a, a couple years ago in our church, we taught it as a blueprint for ministry, but not everybody's called to full-time ministry. So we changed it up to look at it for, from the, the standard of uh, leadership. Everybody is called to lead whether you're leading your children or you're leading a friend in prayer to the Lord Jesus or whether you're leading a business. Every one of us ought to aspire to some level of leadership in the kingdom uh, because that's just the promotions of God. Every one of us, if we're faithful, God will put us over more things. And the second we're over something, we are leading it. So let's just jump into this. There's three and a half pages. We got to get through this stuff quick. This is called to greatness, Judges chapter 6, 11 through 16. God has called every believer to greatness. And I want you to believe that with all of your heart. He has called every believer up in life. This is a message we preach around here a lot. God has called every believer up. When you get born again, you don't get born again to stay the same. You get born again to begin this upward movement, this upward promotion. We are called up in life. We're not called to stay the same. We're not called to remain the same. We are called up. God will take us as far as we're willing to go. And that's, the, that's probably one of the greater problems in the Christian's life is that some Christians are not just willing to go very far. Most Christians want to get saved and then be left alone. And if you got saved and then you ask God to leave you alone, you, you've gotten into the wrong kingdom. Even if you're not in the kingdom, God's not going to leave you alone. God will be involved in every affair of every man's life until he dies and either goes to heaven or dies and goes to hell. And even in heaven, he'll still be involved in the affairs of your life. When you're in hell, well, he's left you alone. That's what hell is, a total absence of God in your life. Even the pagans that mock God right now, God is still in their life. They still have the presence of God in their life because the Bible says the earth is the Lord and his glory fills the earth. So even the pagan that mocks God and curses him in his heart is still enjoying the presence of God. Hell, though, when you die and go to hell, it is a place. Hell is the absolute devoidness of the presence of God. And that's what makes it absolute hell. You and I, when we backslide, we feel like we're living in hell because God is resisting us when we're used to a greater measure of his presence in our life. And so God has called every one of us up. You should not be a Christian and then just want to be left alone by God. You should be a Christian and want God to do more for you, for you to do more for God. You ought to be born again and be excited about serving Jesus and want to do better. That's why we come to church. How far are you willing to go for God? There's a good question. How far are you willing to go? What are you want to be known by? Are you just like a Sunday morning Christian? Or are you just kind of a, a Christian bumper sticker Christian? Maybe you're a Christian t-shirt kind of Christian. Or are you known for greater things than that? God, when he saved all of us, he put greatness in us and he's expecting us to live great for him. We will see from the life and example of Gideon that God can take you where you could never go. And make you what you could never be if you will only yield to and obey God. It's evident when you, when you don't serve God very far, it's real quickly evident how far you can go. When you don't serve God, you stop pretty quick. And unfortunately, in our society, we see people peak in high school and never go beyond who they were in high school. Or we see people peak in college, and some people live the perpetual dream. They're always chasing their high school senior year or their college sophomore year when they won the championship, you know? And that's it. That was the best year of their life. Now, it's a sad thing when you're born again, and the best year of your life is not the year you're living right now, but something 15 or 20 years ago. 
What that shows is that God is not with you anymore or you're really not with God anymore. You're not lost. You're just not living like you're saved. Every year that you serve God ought to be the, the most God-filled, revelation-filled, joyful-filled life you've ever, a year you've ever had. Not to quote that book that you guys know I have no respect for, you know, your best Friday ever, every day of Friday. Or, we're not talking about that goofy. That's pop psychology. That's a bunch of saccharine, sweet, you know, junk doctrine. I'm talking about when you live with God and you walk with God, every year you advance for God. And every year is your, is your premier year. Because every year you're walking by faith, and faith is what pleases God. And so with this lesson, we're looking at what are you willing to do for God? How far are you willing to go for him? How, how much are you willing to sacrifice for him? How much of him do you want in your life? How much are you willing to decrease that he might increase? That's what we have to look at. Until the day you die, your job is to grow in Jesus. There is no off year. There's no backsliding. There's no vacation from God. There's no retirement in God. The senior citizens in the kingdom ought to have the strongest and greatest walks with God. You don't see anybody in the Bible retire from ministry or serving God. When they do retire, it's called backsliding. When they finally shut off their faith and back down, that's what Hebrews calls drawing back unto perdition. So we don't have that option. Let's look at Gideon's setting here, our next section. Gideon became one of Israel's 17 judges. Israel had 17 judges in the historical era called the the era of the judges, beginning really with Moses and, and Joshua. They were judges. And the last judge was Samuel. After Samuel came the first king, and God stopped leading his people through judges when Saul became king. Gideon was one of the 17 judges. He's kind of there in the middle, kind of in the opening third of the judges. He's in Judges 6. During Gideon's day... Israel had rebelled against the Lord again and was delivered into the hands of the Midianites. When you study the book of Judges, you'll see they were delivered into the hands of different enemies. And uh, that really speaks a lot of the body of Christ today. When we rebel against God, we're not always delivered into the hand of the same enemy. It might be poverty. It might be demotion. It might be sickness. It might be, I don't know, the loss of a loved one. It might be you lose your mind. There's all sorts of enemies that come from the enemy, we understand, that attack our life. But we see with judges that they were always rebelling because God's people are dumb. <laughs> and we are that people. Amen. We, all of us should be a little bit further along. All of us should be a little bit more joyful. All of us should be a little bit more excited. All of us could have a little bit better life. But it may be that we've, we've let the enemy come in because we stopped obeying God in an area. And we're, not a one of us is exempt from this. That's why we constantly come to church to be taught the word of God so we can learn how to serve God better. But in Gideon's day, they had rebelled against God again and left their God again. And this time they were delivered into the hands of the Midianites. Their rebellion against God brought a threefold judgment against them. And this this threefold judgment is found over and over and over again in the Bible, even into the New Testament church age. The threefold judgment of God or the threefold hurt that came upon them when they rebelled was, number one, oppression. A pr- occupation by their enemies, the Midianites and the Amalekites. That oppression, uh, it, could, it was mental. The, uh, the oppression was psychological. The oppression was physical. The oppression hurt their entire life. They were no longer free. And that's what Israel faced every time they walked away from God was Oppression. And anytime you and I walk away from God, the number one thing we can expect and we should embrace is oppression. (laughs) 
That is the number one thing to anticipate when you walk away from God. Oppression. I hate oppression. I don't want oppression. I don't want to be oppressed, so I stay real close with Jesus. Oppression may not be somebody literally being your slave owner like they were in the Bible here, but it could be a mental thing, a physical thing, physically oppressed, mentally oppressed, emotionally oppressed, discouragement, condemnation, judgment, just blah. A total lack of the fruit of the Spirit in your life. That's what it looks like when you don't serve God. The second thing was poverty. The book of Judges is very clear on this. Failed agriculture and business and abject poverty. A total lack of God in your life brings about poverty. Every third world nation on this planet is pagan. All the Muslim nations are pagan and they are poor. The only reason Muslim nations have any money is because we, the Western countries, need their oil. If it were not for our need for their oil, they'd still be living in tents. That's a statement of fact. It's not a racial statement. It's a historical economical fact. We give them the money they have. We and the Western nations along with us, we being America, we have built their nations. But when you travel the world, the poorest nations on the planet are devoid of God Almighty. They worship trees. They worship ancestors. They worship themselves. They go to witch doctors, and that's why they're poor. Even in our region, here in the middle of America, this is a very poor region because there is a great blight of darkness. And the religion that is often propagated here is not true relationship with Jesus Christ. It's a religious facade where folks don't really have the fruit of the Spirit because they don't really have a, a walk with God because they don't really know Him. And because of that, we see poverty here. And so one of the other, the threefold judgments of God or the thing you can expect in your life when you walk away from Him is poverty. Things will dry up in your life. Promotion will dry up and demotion will hit your life. Demotion is horrible. You should never be demoted as a Christian unless, of course, your name is Joseph and you're being demoted because you're holy, not because you have an attitude. So demotion should be far from your walk as a Christian. If you're demoted, it's probably because of an attitude or probably because you just don't have things right. But see, even with Joseph, when he was demoted, God's hand was upon him and God, everywhere he went, God raised him up to the top. He was thrown in the pit. God raised him to the top of the pit. <laughs> he went into slavery, bought him the barrel of Potiphar's house. God raised him to the top of Potiphar's house. Lied on, accused of rape, thrown into the bottom of the dungeon, raised to the top of the dungeon and on top of the dungeon running it. No matter who demoted Joseph, God always promoted him. And the last one is fear. Constant fear, which caused Israel to live like animals in caves, strongholds, and dens of the mountains. That's what the book of Judges says. So, you know, when you start, uh, when you start backing off the things of God, you can expect fear to visit you. There's a great confidence that comes with serving God. A great confidence when you know you do everything you know to do according to the Bible every day. But you know when you start backing off what you know to do, you start getting nervous, you start looking over your shoulder, you're not sure who's watching you, did they see that, did they hear that, did they just see what they think I thought I saw? Lord help me, that, the fear. We experience these things as Christians, especially when we back off the things of God. When Israel got tired of living like this, and maybe we'd ask you guys this, maybe you've got some fear in your life, some poverty, some oppression. When you get tired of living like this, they cried unto God. God began raising up a leader to answer their cry, and in this situation, his name was Gideon. 
Gideon would rule for 40 years, and the whole time Gideon ruled and judged Israel, they had peace. When Gideon died, when the voice of authority died, the people rebelled again, and the cycle repeated itself. The cycle repeats itself about 12 times in the book of Judges. That is a stupid nation of people. When you can't look back generation from generation and see how this thing goes for you and say, hey, let's begin to put roadblocks and measures at hand that we don't do this with our children and our grandchildren. But we can't knock the Israelites too much because we do this. And it isn't just a 40-year cycle. It's often a weekly cycle or a monthly cycle. Maybe it's a quarterly cycle where we serve God for a quarter, then we back off for a quarter. And we wonder, why, why aren't we going anywhere? <laughs> because you're 10 years behind schedule, man. When you get tired of living like this, cry unto God and don't ever stop crying unto him. Now, here's what we want to add as teaching this on leadership. You are the leader that somebody's crying out for. You are the leader God is raising up to answer someone's cry. Someone on your job is tired of oppression and fear, tired of being beat up, and they're looking for answers. You could be the leader God's raising up on your job to help that person. You could be the leader in your family God's raising up, the leader in your classroom. You've got to see that, the leader in this community. Why can't we as Christians get into places in this community and influence this community for the glory of God? Uh, for me personally, I'm always looking for influence in this community to get in there and hobnob and rub elbows and exert my weight to change this region. The reason the country's going to hell is because perverts have hobnobbed and gotten into place and propagated their doctrine and propagated their philosophy while we, the church, sat back and just, you know, had our bread and circuses, our food and entertainment, and went to church Sunday morning and thought we did God a favor. The church is the reason America is cursed as it is. We're not cursed of God, just cursed because we flirt with sin so much. And now we're legislating sin. 20 years ago, they, they commanded, you know what? You can't legislate morality. But now we're legislating sin. Bunch of dirty hypocrite, two-faced politicians. 20 years ago, you said we couldn't do this in the positive. Now you're doing it in the negative. It's pathetic. But it's because Christians... They wanted to be left alone. They wanted to stay in their medium income homes and just raise their kids and be left alone. Of course, that's what happened in Nazi Germany. Everybody just wanted to be left alone. The famous quote that came out of Nazi Germany, not that I think we're going towards Nazi Germany, is that the one man said, when they came for the Jews, I didn't care I wasn't a Jew. When they came for the, the wealthy, I didn't care I wasn't wealthy. When they came and took away the homosexuals, I didn't care I wasn't a homosexual. When they came and took away the mentally handicapped, I didn't care I wasn't mentally handicapped. But when they came and took me away, there was no one to defend me. That's how the American church has lived for the last 50 years. We let everybody do what they wanted so we could just enjoy our wealth, raise our kids, and not rock the boat. And that time's coming to an end. We're going to be forced into it if we don't get after it now persecution will force us into this if we don't change this now. So the threefold curse or judgment upon Israel when they walked away from God in their heart, oppression, poverty, and fear. Fear you see over and over again in the Bible. Fear is one of the greatest, if you live in constant fear, it's one of the greatest indicators you don't walk with God. If Jesus is called the Prince of Peace, how do you have fear? I understand when you might have an occasional fear and you got to shake it off you, but when you live in fear, that's indicative that you don't have a strong walk with God. Because when you have a strong walk with God, you don't fear.
Many men of God, the angel had to come to him and say, fear not. And the Lord had to say, fear not. And it went away. But how can we as born again, spirit filled Christians live there perpetually? Except we don't have a walk with God. Now we think we do through facades and through mental disposition and through mental ascent. But one of the true evidences that you walk with God is the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, peace, peace. So when you get tired of living that way, cry out to God and he'll answer you. A promise from the book of Judges. If God has called you to leadership, fear not. We're not to be afraid of stepping up and doing something. We're not to be afraid of stepping out and influence the community. Don't be afraid to step up and witness to somebody on your job or, or to, to lead somebody to Jesus. He has promised to be with you. God has promised to be with you. Judges chapter 2, verse 18. And when the Lord raised them up, judges, raised up Israel, some judges, the Lord was with the judge. And he delivered them out of the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For it repented the Lord because of their groanings by reason of them that oppressed them and vexed them. Now, when we say the word judge, don't think of a guy here in the courthouse in a black robe don't, with a gavel. The one that puts you in jail or declares guilty or innocent. Don't think of a judge in Britain with a big wig with all the you know, powder. A judge is a, is a military leader. It, he's like a governor. And he wouldn't have worn a black robe. He was a leader. If you want to, just insert the word leader there. That's what they were doing. When the Lord raised them up leaders, then the Lord was with the leader. And he delivered them out of the hands of their enemies all the days of their leader. For it repented the Lord because of their groanings by reason of them that oppressed them and vexed them. So the promise of God to his leaders is fourfold. Just like the, the curse or the blight of sin is threefold. Fear, oppression, and poverty. The promise of God to his leaders is fourfold. God will raise you up. You don't have to promote yourself. You don't have to go advertise and make up fake business cards. You don't have to insert yourself someplace. If God has called you to leadership, he will raise you up as you yield to him and serve him. Number two, God will be with you. That's probably the best point of all. God is with you. Number three, God will grant you success in your assignment. Whatever God has called you to do, if you will do it, you will succeed. A lot of folks fail because they're not doing what God asked them to do. And it's miserable being a Christian failing all the time. But when God has called you to lead and you step up and lead in the area God's called you to lead, you will succeed. God does not call anybody to fail them. I think sometimes we're afraid that if we obey God, we're going to fail. But God didn't ask you to do what he's asked you to do just to watch you fail. That's cruel. It's like asking my daughter to, hey, go cut the grass and then laugh at her because she can't. That's wicked. That's sadistic. God has not asked us to do anything we cannot do. But what we must do, we must do with him. You can't do it without him. So don't be afraid of stepping up because you're not going to fail. But that fear of failure puts you back in fear and you'll never step out and do what he's asked you to do. You got to be willing to get out there and walk on the water, especially if Jesus says, come. Peter knew he could walk on the water because Jesus had said, come. And if Jesus is asking you to come, if he's asking you to lead, you're not going to fail. Quit, quit talking yourself out of obeying God. You're afraid of something that's never even happened. That makes you needful of medication. You're afraid of something that not only doesn't exist, won't ever exist. Can you, and how many of us live, live that way? We live in a place where we're afraid of something that hasn't happened yet. And it's such a powerful mental thing, it keeps us in the same place. That's mental illness. 
You're afraid of something that not only doesn't exist, but it hasn't even happened yet. And you can't even prove that it will happen. But yet you use the fear as an excuse to disobey. It's okay to be afraid of a snake. That's a tangible thing. And it's okay to be afraid of a gun. That's a tangible thing. And interstate traffic and playing rugby on the interstate. You should be afraid of that. Be afraid of a terrorist. Or whatever the, you know, the PC is trying to call them now, you know, liberated freedom fighters. You know, they're terrorists. <laughs> whatever our liberal overlords are teaching our vocabulary say now. Be afraid of that stuff. It's tangible. But this junk that hasn't happened yet and you're afraid of it and it keeps you from obeying God, how weak is your faith that you believe in something that you can't see and that has never happened? And that faith is so strong it paralyzes you. When you claim to believe in a God you can't see who has happened, who has proven himself faithful, and that faith is so weak, the faith of something that doesn't exist that never will exist keeps you the same, whereas your faith in Jesus can't even change you. I would question whether you even have faith in Jesus. It's pretty simple. When we sit here and step outside of emotions and look at it with a little bit of logic and sound mindness, what are we afraid of? You don't know until you get out there and try it. Amen. God will grant you success in your assignment. Point four, you will succeed all the days of your life. That's what Judges 2.18 says. You will succeed all the days of your life. Here's one thing that's guaranteed. If you don't step out, you will fail. So just by sitting still, you are failing. But you're afraid of stepping out because you're afraid you'll fail. But if you disobey God, you're failing sitting still. You're afraid of failing, so you sit still, but sitting still is failure. Brilliant. Brilliant. And we're the best nation on the planet, and this is what the believers in our nation think. You're afraid of failing, so you sit still, but sitting still is failure. We got to step out. Do something. Witness to somebody. Turn over a rock. Go do something you've never done before. I don't know. Bake a brownie or a cake or do something. Do something to motivate yourself so you don't just sit there afraid of nothing. We went to Epcot as a kid, and Epcot, one of their little, that's Disney World's like smart part. You know, you have Disney, you have Magic Kingdom, which is like, you know, cotton candy and jelly beans and you know then Epcot's like for the intellect the world pavilion and space and future land and home economic land and whatever they had and when you go into the Imaginarium they have this little dinosaur called figment so as an eight-year-old I learned that figment was not his name but it's what he was he was a figment of your imagination and he was whatever you could create him to be that's why they called it the Imaginarium it's whatever you can imagine we're afraid of figments of our imagination. <laughs> we have set our faith upon a figment of our imagination. Your faith is whatever moves you. And when, you're, when what moves you is a figment of your imagination, I don't see how you can boast yourself a mature Christian. Now, I'm not putting you down. I'm trying to shock you into reality and just kind of give you a wake-up call. If your faith rests in a figment, and that's what moves you, this made-up thing. This thing maybe the devil put in your head through a fiery dart. How can you say you have faith in Christ? How can you say you believe the word? I'm trying to motivate us to step up and be leaders in whatever capacity God's called you to. All of you influence some arena of this community that I know nothing about. 
And God would have you rise up and be a greater leader in that capacity than you already are. But you're afraid of a figment. Figment in the Disney world is this little jump. It looks like Puff the Magic Dragon, but he's pink. That's what he looked like to me as a kid. Had little purple wings and, you know, he's all cute. He was made up. And maybe you've got a figment dragon that you're worshiping that has talked you in, back into your hovel. And you won't even leave your hovel because of some little figment that your mind dreamed up and you set your faith upon it. <laughs> Sad. And the Bible calls us world overcomers. Maybe we should start with figment overcoming. Then we can, then we can move on to county overcoming. Maybe supermarket overcoming. And then before long, just, I don't know, there's something about walking with God. You're just not afraid of much of anything. And when you do see the fear, you recognize it and you say, you know what, Lord, it's trying to make me afraid, but I'm not afraid of it. I'm not afraid of it, Lord, but it's trying to make me afraid. I trust in you. Even Proverbs says, be not afraid of sudden fear. It tells you the specific thing to not be afraid of. That little thing your mind makes up. Be not afraid of that. You ought to just go and do it just to overcome it. I told you guys a couple months ago, Gary Dalton and I were down, we were dropping that 75-foot pit on his property, repelling, and we're trying to rig to come up, and we hadn't practiced, I hadn't practiced rigging to come out of the pit. You don't just free climb a rope, you got gear. And I couldn't figure it out. I hadn't looked at the book in 11 years, and I thought I could remember having looked at it 11 years ago. And all of a sudden, after about 15 minutes of trying to rig this thing, realizing I'm not getting out of here, I'm gonna have to be rescued. Gary can't get out of here because I'm going to be on top of the line on top of him. They're going to have to wait for us, send for a helivac or something. And my mind starts freaking out on me. And I got hit with a panic attack. I've never had one. And as I sat there, I had the harness and the ropes everywhere. My hands began to shake. And I went, whoa, this is what a panic attack feels like. So I start scientifically analyzing things, going, whoa, wow. And I said, shut up, shut up. We will get out of here. I mean, this is a trip. This is like a demon. How, how can this all of a sudden just hit me? I've done rope work since I was 15. How can this just now hit me? Just a demon or something with my mind involved because my mind's running through all the scenarios as to why I'm not getting out because my mind knows too much because I've done rope work for, since I was 15. That's 21 years of rope work. Just hadn't done this yet. And all of a sudden my mind gets involved and figment starts riding my back. You're not getting out of here. They're going to have to rescue you. If you try to get up this rope, you're going to fatigue because you know it's hard to climb rope. Your harness is going to pinch off the nerves. You're going to go into toxic shock syndrome. The blood's going to hit your heart when they rescue. You're going to die. You're not getting out of here. And I said, shut up. And then it settled almost instantly. And then just like that, I could remember how to tie the rope. It's crazy. And I looked after a couple minutes. I had to kind of let my coolness get back on me. I said, Gary, you won't believe this. I just had a panic attack. And he said, Really? I said, really? But don't worry, I got this. <laughs> and we climbed out. No problem. So many of us, though, we fall prey and we worship at the throne of fear. A figment. Some of you are so smart, you've ruined your life because you can't handle your knowledge. And you keep throwing more in that trap hole called a head. And it doesn't do you any good. You have all these reasons because of knowledge why you can't. And that's why the Bible says just have childlike faith. Children don't know much. When you ask a child to jump to you, they don't understand physics. They don't understand 9.8 meters per second squared. They don't understand why what they're doing is not smart. But you're going to catch them anyway. 
And why can't we do that? It's because we're so smart. We've educated ourselves so much. We have played the mental chess match so many times. We think we've got God checkmated. And it's all a figment because for you to think you can beat God at chess, that's a figment. That's really goofy. Really goofy. Let's move on here. Life interrupted. The call of leadership very often comes out of nowhere when you are least expecting it. Maybe it was coming out of nowhere this morning realizing God wants you to do more in your arena of this community. One of the things that's kind of beginning to burn in my heart as the pastor of this church is we have to do more to reach this community. I'm not talking about gimmicks. I'm not talking about all this seeker-friendly junk and watered down and Unitarian this and ecumenical that. I'm talking about honest-to-goodness influencing this community. But in order for this church to do it, you have to do it. You have to get out there and be a brighter light. You have to influence more. And so one of the things I think we're going to see in this church over the next several weeks and months is a greater call for every one of us to step up and lead. God did not invest the kingdom in you for you to keep it in your little home or for us to keep it in this storefront. He put the kingdom of eternity in us and put his salt and his light in us so that everywhere we went, we could push back and influence things. And we just have to get a mind for that, get a heart for that. You are all called to some form of leadership, not maybe fivefold leadership, not maybe apostolic leadership or prophetic leadership or pastoral, whatever. But whatever you're doing, man, be the top of it. Because when you're the top of it, your Christianity will trickle down through everybody under you and you'll influence it. Just like if there's a lesbian who's coaching your girl's soccer team, you better believe she's influencing your daughter. But if a born-again, spirit-filled Christian is coaching your daughter's soccer team, you better believe they are influencing every kid under them. If you don't understand the power of our influence, think about if a mosque were to set up shop across the street, would that not influence our community? You better believe, you'd feel it. Likewise, every local church that's strong influences the community. If you started working with Let's make up something really weird and harsh and extreme and be called a racist, bigot, homophobe, Islamophobe. A lesbian Muslim pedophile started working on your job. Would that not influence your office? By the wickedness wrapped up therein. Shouldn't you be making just as much influence in the other direction? Absolutely. Absolutely. You can walk into some businesses and tell that the owner's a pervert. You can walk into some businesses and tell darkness is in there. Mr. Marlin and I, we were in South Africa a couple years ago. We walked into that business in the mall, the Lelouchia Mall, probably one of the fanciest malls I've ever been into. And we walked into that mall, this store. It was like selling African goods. And the second we walked in, we walked into demonic presence. That's the only time it's ever happened to me in a mall. And it, you had a headache for several hours. And it made my head spin. And I went, whoa. There are demons in this store. Wow. We walked in the back and just walked right back out. And it gave him a headache. It was weird. But they had a bunch of witchcraft stuff in there, a bunch of wood carvings, a bunch of paganism and animism, just selling wood carvings and trinkets from Africa to tourists like us. But somebody in in that shop, the carving's nothing. The wood's neither here nor there. Somebody in that shop was involved in it, and their presence was with them. Likewise, you can go to some businesses, and you can tell this business honors God. Every one of us has that ability. We ought to be doing that on our jobs and our careers. We ought to be influencing, if we're teachers, the kids under us, we ought to be influencing our coworkers. We ought to be influencing our boss to some degree. They ought to recognize it when we're not on the job and miss us. 
We ought to be that bright a light. And every one of you is called to do it. You are not called just to suck air, make a paycheck, warm a chair, and then go back home and repeat. That's a mediocre existence of life. You are called to rise up and do great things for Jesus Christ. Always looking to witness, always looking to exert some light, some salt, some righteousness, always looking to pray for somebody. And when you step out, they ought to recognize, so-and-so is not here today, are they? How can you tell? You can just... You just tell it's not as cheerful as it usually is. They, they won't know what words to use. Cheerful, joyful, bubbly. They're, all, they're looking for words to describe the fruit that should be in your life. The call to leadership very often comes out of nowhere when you are least expecting it. And perhaps we're saying that today. God is calling us onward and upward. It is a sovereign act of God. He's called you to do greater things. You didn't ask for it. He called it. He's God. He can do that. One day you're busy about your work. The next day God is speaking to you about serving him, or we might say serving him in a greater manner. Our verse here says, And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak, which was in Ophrah, that pertained to Joash the Abizarite, and his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. Judges 6.11. Here's several things we can see from this. God knows where to find you. You cannot escape this call. Now, you cannot escape it. God will always have it upon you, but it may be you can find a better, uh, for your flesh, a better church that will leave you alone. It could be you can always find an easier church, a seeker-friendly church, a donut church. I call them now, one of my new terms is the training wheel church. My other term I just made up this morning in prayer is the Goldilocks church. It's not hot, it's not cold, it's just right. (laughs) That's the Goldilocks church. You can find those, and those are the biggest churches in our region. Because they're just interested in, you know, mediocre Christianity. They don't want to rock the boat. I don't care for anything like that. Uh, Here in Tennessee, we say go big or go home. Or go to a seeker-friendly church. (laughs) You can't escape it. Even if you find a donut church that takes it easy on you, doesn't confront your sin or your attitude, God will still deal with you in private. And you'll still know you are called to bigger and better. And you'll never be happy until you rise to that standard. Even as parents, you look at your kids and you say, you're better than this. There's better potential in you this. I'm disappointed in you because you're better than this. Why'd you get in a fight? Why'd you get the F? Why'd you get the D? Why'd you get expelled? It breaks your heart as a parent because you know your kids are better than this. Likewise, God looks at us and says, "Why? you're better than this. I bought you. I put me in you. I put training in you. You're better than this. And you want to act like the rest of those ruffians in your school? You want to act like the rest of the heathen? You want to act like the the lukewarm Christians I'm also dealing with? God looks at every one of us and says, you're better than this. We don't want to displease our father. He ought to be real enough to us that we don't want to let him down, just like we didn't ever want to let our natural dad down. We want to say, Father, I hope I please you today. And if I didn't, show me where I didn't so I can do better tomorrow. And he'll look at you and say, I expect an A out of you. You can get an A on this test. So I expect you to pass it next time. Yes, sir, I'll get the A. Next point, God's calling will interrupt your plans. If you're still trying to have your own say in your life as a Christian, it's got to stop. Life's going to be miserable. We are bought with a price. We're not our own. We don't get to say where we want to go. We don't get to say what we want to say, regardless of what those 80s songs say. What was that, Paul McCartney, say, say, say what you want? That was Paul McCartney, wasn't it? I think so, too. That was one of the James Bond theme songs, I think, from the 80s. We don't get to live like Paul McCartney. I wouldn't want to live like him anyway. What a weirdo. We get to live for Jesus. And God's plans will interrupt and trump your plans. 
You don't, we're not, honestly, we're not even smart enough to know what we should be planning. We have the basics down, you know, food, put the kids to school, put the kids to bed. We understand the basics, but the bigger plan, we've been infected by Hollywood. Hollywood taints our plans. And so the calling of God interrupts your plans. God is not interested in your plans for your life. I teach that all the time, and I'll continue to teach it. God does not care about your plans. God does not care about your plans. You get permission for something, but he doesn't care about your plans. He has made you for his purpose. And there's just no telling what you've got in you that's your plans that really came from the world. There's no telling what your plan is and how much of it was really put in you by the world system, by the spirit of the world. The spirit of God wants to put a plan in you, but the spirit of the world, which most Christians are better at yielding to than the spirit of God, it also has a plan. And we all have these weird daydreams and these weird plans. I'm going to be this. I'm going to be that. When you talk about ministry, I never planned to be a pastor. Brett and Bobby never planned to be missionaries. Brett wanted to be some kind of singing minstrel, crisscrossing the country, you know, hitting stops on American Idol. And now they're missionaries in Uganda training up college kids. That was never in their plan. But God doesn't care about your plan. He has his plan. If he was interested in your plan, he'd ask you about your plan. Has God ever asked anybody here about your plan? He's never asked me about my plan. He's never said, Chris, what do you have planned for today? Chris, what's your five-year plan? He has never once, not through a prophecy, not through the scriptures, not through the inward witness, not through the word of knowledge, not through the word of the Lord, never has he said, what is your plan? He's always said, do this, do that, resign here, go to Africa, don't take this trip. And he has the right to interrupt me and ruin my plans any and every time. And he takes that right. <laughs> and he doesn't ever ask me for permission. He just does it because he's God. That's the problem with Americans. We, we forgot who, who was really God. And we kind of put ourselves in his position. God looks to promote hard workers. Gideon was busy working. God does not promote the lazy. We might also say he doesn't promote people with attitude. Laziness is an attitude. God needs you clean. Gideon was busy threshing wheat. This is symbolic of getting sin out of your life. So those are a couple of things we see from that verse there. God has called all of us to leadership. The call will interrupt your life. He doesn't care about your plans. If you want to see a miserable Christian, look at one chasing their dream. That's a miserable Christian, especially when it doesn't line up with the will of God. I am living stuff I never dreamed, and I don't even know what this year holds or next year. I don't care. I'm having fun. It's better. It's just, off, it's just awesome to turn off the dream factory. <laughs> All those parts in that thing came from China anyway. They're defunctional. They're dysfunctional and defunct, and you're just dreaming dreams, and God never endorsed it. He never gave you the dream factory. He just said, walk with me. And you never know where he's going to go. That's why it takes faith. And he doesn't ever bother to give you the roadmap except to say it'll be good and perfect and it'll be yes and amen. And if you're one that has to walk by sight, you'll be fearful every step of the way. Every step of the way. Fearful Christians walk by sight. Worse than that, they walk by things they can't see, figments. <laughs> Goofy. The calling, we're not going to get through this lesson, so we'll pick it up next week. So make sure you bring your lesson with you next week, and we'll jump into lesson two. The calling. God's calling is always bigger than what we can see. 
He will always address us by his faith. Judges 6, 12 says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor, thou champion, thou man of fearless courage. Here he was hiding in the threshing floor, hiding from the Midianites. And God shows up and calls him a mighty man of fearless courage. If you are one given to fear, and some of you in here, you're eat up with it. That is a good thing to confess. The Lord is with me. I'm a mighty man of fearless courage. The Lord is with me. I'm a mighty woman of fearless courage. This is a Bible promise. You can declare the thing. The other interesting thing is Gideon's name means destroyer. Here he has this great name, and all he can destroy is a little bit of wheat in a hiding hole. God's, God's given you guys a greater name, too. Your name isn't just possum holler liver. You know, somebody dwelling, possum holler dweller. Your name is great because it's in Christ. God sees us in us things we cannot see. The Bible's filled with similar examples. Gideon was called a man of fearless courage when he was yet hiding from the Midianites. Abraham was called the father of many nations when he had no children. Sarah was called a noble woman even when she, was, when she mocked the Lord. Peter was called the rock even though he constantly crumbled. God calls you by faith and he calls you things that you are not right now. So put up your dream and pick up what he has called you. You only have enough time, breath, life, and energy to focus on your dream or his call. If Peter gave up on the rock and went back to fishing, he'd have never been a rock. But he gave up the fishing and went after the rock. He gave up his dream to pursue the calling, which was to be Petros, the rock, the revelation. And that's what we've got to be. God calls us things, though we're not it. He's the God of faith. He sees in us things that he's put in us that he wants to come to pass. And he'll just talk to you beyond where you are right now. In an attempt to show you that you've got to quit living where you are right now and do things according to the Bible. He called Peter the rock. And Peter's about to be called Satan three verses later in Matthew 16. Which is it? Am I the rock or am I Satan? You're supposed to be the rock. You're acting like the devil, though. All of us, we're, we're supposed to be acting great, but we're acting like a bunch of sissies sometimes. Scaredy cats. Afraid, afraid of what? Failing? We've already ascertained we're already failing. <laughs> to sit still is to fail. To get up is to succeed a little bit more. And you get up three days in a row, that's three days of success. You sit three days in a row, that's three days of failure. And you're afraid of failing. So you're afraid of what you are. But you're too busy being it to see that you're failing. God has called us to greater things. Disbelief at the call. Let's finish this section. Very few Christians will readily receive the call of God as Mary did, as she said, be it unto me according to thy word. Even Gideon struggled with this call. Judges 6.13 says, Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? Where be all his miracles which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. It's interesting. He, he points out everything that's going wrong, and he wants to blame God for it. God, if you're really with us, why is all this happening? Well, you, you got to look a little bit bigger, Gideon, and realize what God sees. A lot of Christians, we, we are the same way. Well, I'm serving God. Why is everything falling apart in my life? Maybe you're not really serving God. 
Every one of us has heard the story. What about that healing? My grandmother was a woman of God and she died of the cancer. Well, it wasn't God's fault. Did you see her heart? Was she bitter? Was she angry? Was she resentful? Did God deal with her about unforgiveness for 20 years? You don't know. I don't believe in healing because grandma died. Well, then don't take aspirin next time you have a headache if you don't believe in healing. Well, Lord, I'm serving you. Look at how bad my life's going. Maybe you're not really serving him. Maybe you think you are. But my Bible promises me when you serve him, it goes well with you. Maybe you're serving him on your terms and conditions, and on your terms and conditions, you are the best servant of God ever. But there's your problem. It's your terms and your conditions. Maybe you should go back and reread the contract. This is the kind of thing only God himself can reveal to you where you're deceiving yourself, thinking you're this wonderful son or daughter. I think all of us grew up thinking we were wonderful sons and daughters to our natural parents, and mom and dad felt likewise or different. They felt, felt contrary-wise. We didn't see the things we were doing as sass or spunk or, or provocation or disrespectful or dishonorable, and yet it was, and yet we thought we were awesome sons and daughters. Could it be that we think we're awesome sons and servants? All I have to do is look for joy in your life, love in your life, peace in your life, long-suffering. And when you have the fruit of the Spirit working in your life, that's the indicator that you are really serving God with everything. I don't claim to be there. I, I look at myself and say, I'm lacking some of the fruit of the Spirit. i got to get that stuff working. I don't claim to think I'm the best servant. I'm always trying to get better. So we can't sit there as Gideon. If, if you're really with us, why is all this happening? Because y'all are a bunch of backslidden buzzards, Gideon. Furthermore, God didn't say he was with them. He said he was with Gideon. And it was about to start changing. Gideon's response to his divine calling reveals several things to us. If God be for us, why has this happened? Gideon did not hear clearly. God is with Gideon, not the people. Not yet. It may be that God's not exactly with you because you're not exactly with him. It is possible to be born again, spirit-filled, and know the Bible and not really have God working with you and deceive yourself into thinking you're doing great things for him. Where are all the miracles? God had knowledge of God and his power. He was not ignorant of the promises or the testimonies of God. Are you? Gideon had trouble processing God's plan. Yes, things have been bad, but God was about to use him to turn things around. Can you believe that God wants to use you to turn things around. We'll stop there. We'll leave with that question. Can you guys believe that God would use you to turn around this region? Can you believe that, that God would use you to turn around your family? Can you believe that, that God would actually use you to fight a nation like Gideon did? Not, I'm not talking about going to war, no civil war here. If you can believe that, then God can do it. If not, you get to stay the same. We don't want that. Father, I thank you for Sunday school. Bless our time here, Lord. Let this word soak into these that have heard it. Father, let us get through all these Gideon lessons in the next four weeks. Bless these folks, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.